Hello, my magical friends. My name's Ayumi. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and you're listening to Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Whether it's your first or 106th time listening, we welcome you to our space to celebrate magical girls from every corner of the world. We have a lot of news, and I finished watching some stuff, and then we'll get to today's topic. So a new season means new animations are coming out, and I wanted to highlight some Magical Girl and adjacent series that are starting in July. First, for a direct Magical Girl series, we have, of course, Tokyo Mew Mew New. We've been covering the news of this series' announcements since the beginning of the podcast, but it is finally coming to the screen on July 3rd. High Dive is the service to watch it officially with English subtitles. I bought a ticket for and watched the digest that is a cut down of the first three episodes, and I can tell you for sure that it's going to give us something new. And there are already some interesting changes. Also important to note, we don't know how long this series will be. The first three episodes more or less cover the first four muse, so it's possible that this will be a single core, if you will, or 12 to 13 episodes season. But it's still really hard to say for sure. The next season is maybe a magical girlfriend series. The project known as Project Engage is a new mixed media. Series starting with Engage Kiss in this season, while the game called Engage Kill will come out following. This is、uh, reminding me a lot of the setup for Tact Opus Destiny, which had led up to the Tact Opus mobile game. It seems to be a romantic comedy, and it's a little bit of a love triangle situation. So I'm not sure if the romance aspect is for me, but one of the girls definitely seems to be some sort of magical girl. So I wanted to bring it up. This series begins July second. Next is Ruby Ice Queendom. So Ruby, spelled R W B Y, is a Rooster Teeth animated series originally led by Japanese American creator Monty Ohm, and now a Japanese animation studio Shaft has created what seems to be a reboot of the franchise. The first three episodes were uploaded to YouTube and Crunchyroll over the weekend, but the televised airing begins on July third. Interesting to note that the Japanese iteration of that kind of early world premiere has already been taken down, but at least as of this recording, you can still watch it with English subtitles if you're outside of Japan. The next is a magical school series that is labeled as Magical Girl on some sites. It's called Smile of the Ars Notoria. It seems to be adapted from a game, and the purpose is to find true magic. The girls are very cute, and it's always nice to have another magic school narrative. So I'm excited for it. This series begins July sixth. Finally, the next iteration of the Strike Witches franchise, Luminous Witches, starts from July third. These are generally a military sci-fi historical fiction series, but is considered relevant to the genre. So I'm listing it here. I've never personally watched a single episode, so this is me taking others' word for it. Moving on to what I've been watching and reading, I'll be doing a special bonus wrap-up episode on the Kofi feed for my final thoughts on the seasonal shows once the Demon Girl Next Door season two finishes. But here are some other shows that I've finished in the meantime. So early last week, I finished watching 
Bisojo Kamen Poitorin or La Belle Fille Masque Poitrine from 1990. This is a tokusatsu series from the lineup known as Toei Fushigi Comedy. It is definitely a very direct predecessor of Sailor Moon, but I think because it is tokusatsu, it is oft forgotten or not mentioned. For sure, Sentai is also a credited inspiration. You know, Takeuchi herself has said so with regards to Sailor Moon, and it's definitely there. But Poitrine is more obviously an ancestor to Sailor Moon. As soon as you watch it, it becomes incredibly obvious. But yeah, this series was a lot of fun. It is sometimes a little messy. You know, it is from 1990, but it was entertaining throughout, which is impressive for a kids' comedy show. Next, I watched Symphigear GX. This is the third season of the Symphigear franchise. It was an interesting season, to say the least. The problems of the series are continuing in this season, and so that wasn't necessarily a surprise to me, but certainly the way that the、uh, villains are evolving over time is interesting. And of course, as always, the action was super awesome. There were some characters that were forgiven by the end of the season that I was not really on board with, but you know what? That's not up to me. So. <laughs> uh, it will be interesting to get more into the nitty gritty, and of course, I look forward to checking out the next season. Finally, I finished watching Phantom Thief Saint's Tale or Kaito Saint's Tale. This is one that has been on my mind for a long time, especially considering the popularity of Phantom Mirage and how much I enjoyed that series. And just wanting to know more about Phantom Thief Magical Girls, which are, you know, an important part of the genre, but Not as common as a lot of the other types. And this series was so adorable, also just beautifully animated. Like every single episode looks so nice, which is very impressive when you have 43 episodes of a kid's show to get through. And it was just all in all very entertaining. <laughs> so I really, really recommend it if you haven't watched it already. It's definitely a very valuable part of the genre. But that's all I've been watching. So, one more thing I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my members. So, of course, if you want to help support the podcast and get bonus episodes, you can always do so over on Kofi. And, you know, since the last time I mentioned them on the podcast, we have gotten two new members. <laughs> well, this is interesting because one is a former guest of the podcast and the other is a Soon to be guest of the podcast. So, thank you to both Jack Harrison Quintana and John, aka Hero Kibbs, for becoming members. <laughs> I hope you enjoy the bonus episodes as much as I enjoy making them. And of course, as always, you can check the link in the show notes if you want to join as well. Let's get to today's topic. So, today's episode is going to be a very exciting one. It's been a while since this has happened, but this original recording was over two and a half hours long. It was incredibly difficult to pare down to a reasonable size, but I managed to do it. And it is still very long, but、uh, I hope that you find it all very interesting. 
So uh, today we are going to 2009 and we are going to Italy to talk about Angel's Friends. So I have been kind of hinting at this particular show since basically the first episode. I love this series a lot, despite all its problems, which we'll get to in a second. But I am really, really excited to finally be able to talk about it. And I'm really excited for our guest today, Lapis. So Lapis is an interesting find because we found each other on a Precure Discord. We, you know, just kept chatting about stuff and found out that, you know, we have the interests kept overlapping and overlapping. And eventually she also joined the Discord server for Sparkle Side Chats. As always, the link to that is in the show notes. <laughs> and it was just really delightful to get to know her and then finally get to talk to her on the podcast about the series. Before we get into the actual topic, and you know, especially if you haven't watched the series yet, this series is available in a bunch of languages for free on YouTube. There are two seasons. There's also a movie. I haven't seen anything past season one yet. I will, for sure. But this is definitely a series that is very easy to binge because the episodes are about 10 minutes of content each and there are 52 of those. So certainly if you would like to watch the series before you listen to the episode, feel free to do so. Warnings about the series. So the series does have a lot of issues with fat phobia, in particular with a fat character but also in terms of the other characters who are thin, commenting about their weight and so on. There is implied drug use. There are issues of characters who are stereotypes of uh, indigenous people, in particular indigenous Americans, that appear in some episodes set in the past. The series also has a lot of issues regarding dubious consent in romantic relationships. There's also mind control and gaslighting. Lots of not so fun stuff. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention, especially in particular regarding a very pink coated character, there is some ableism regarding, you know, her being very coded as stupid. Uh, also just general associated misogyny because she is the pink character, which is unfortunate. But with all those aside, I really enjoyed this series and I enjoyed rewatching it again <laughs> over 10 years after the fact and I really enjoyed talking to Lapis about it. So I hope you get enjoy this conversation with Lapis about Angel's Friends season 1 from 2009. So we are here to talk about Angel's Friends from 2009, and I'm really excited for a new guest today. <laughs> Can you please introduce yourself? Hello, I am Lapis. I am 25. I come from Italy. Uh, pronouns she, her. And I have been a fan of Magical Girls since I remember. And I also have a background in uh, translation, as in that I graduated in that, so I could help giving some insight on that <laughs> as well. <laughs> Great, it's very exciting. I am also uh, an artist. In fact, uh, I usually spam my account with a lot of pretty cure art recently, memes mostly. 
<laughs> and I occasionally animate. I mean, animate is more like storyboard animatics. But mm. I I experiment sometimes. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I'm really excited to finally talk about Angel's Friends, which is a very obscure series in the grand scheme of magical girls. But those of us who love this series, you know, we're very strong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, what is your history with magical girls in general? Okay, so first of all, I uh, think I never stopped watching uh, cartoons, so I never stopped watching magical girls. I think my very first love was Ojamaju Doremi, mm. and uh, I loved witches. At the time when I was a child, I was very lucky because back then in Italy was the great explosion of Magical Girls. So if one of these series aired in Italy, there is a 99% chance I watched it. Mm. I'm familiar as well with Piero Magical Girls such as Queen Mami, Magica Amy. Uh, because those were very successful series here in Italy. So they did every few years reruns. Oh. So I had the chance to watch very old series, even, uh, uh, oh goodness, I don't know how it's called in English. There was this 80s magical girl show with a blonde girl who had a flower that could do miracles. I think she was called Lulu something. Oh, yes, yes. Lulun, yes, yes. Ah, Lulun, yes. That one. Okay, also, uh, Cardcaptor Sakura was mm. uh, very formative for me. When I was a child, I tried to recreate one of her staffs <laughs> with a broomstick. Oh my goodness, that's awesome. Unfortunately, the, the poor staff didn't survive because I lent <laughs> it to a neighbor. <laughs> oh no! I mean, it's fine. I, I don't blame them. It, it happens. Also, uh, it was made with uh, paper attached oh, to the broomstick, so it was it was bound <laughs> to happen. Precure, I think, was the turning point for me, together with Wings Club. Mm. Although Wings Club came first, Precure was the one thing I adored when I were 10, 11. I think it, I was 11 when Futari Wa aired here, and mm -hmm. they kept airing them in order and up to Hercatch. So mm. imagine from middle school to somewhere towards the end of high school, I watched Precure. Mm -hmm. And do you have a favorite season from the dub? Because the Italian dubs are pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to pick because they're all great in their own way. But Fresh Precure and Yes Precure 5 have a very special grip on me. <laughs> <laughs> for different reasons, especially Fresh, because Fresh used to air, unfortunately, on this secondary channel. I mean, he did the first run on, on the regular channel in the morning block that I couldn't watch. So mm -hmm. I watched it on the secondary channel, but the reruns started uh, getting at very stupid hours. At some point, I used to watch Fresh Pedicure at midnight. Wow. Midnight. <laughs> That's so interesting. <laughs> That's how much I was invested in it. Oh, sure. Yeah. Tokyo Mew Mew. I loved the series. And the first manga I ever bought was the second volume of Tokyo Mew Mew a la mode. Oh, interesting. Back, th back then, I didn't even know 
that uh, the girl on the cover was uh, how's the name? You Barry? No. Yes, Barry. Mm -hmm. The the bunny one. Yeah. Okay. I thought when I bought the volume that that was a weird version of Pudding. Oh, <laughs> interesting. <laughs> And okay, my last mention, which is one of the most recent Magical Girls. Recent, I mean, it's been seven years, but Lloyd Rock. Oh, yeah. I adore Lloyd Rock. It exploded on Tumblr. I started watching it as soon as it aired because only one episode was out at the time and it was in mm. French with subtitles. And basically, that's the reason why I was so good at French. Oh, interesting. I kept studying <laughs> just to be sure to understand properly Lollyrock. <laughs> wow, wow. Uh, that's very interesting. Um, I mean, it makes sense. I kind of similarly ended up watching this show while I was studying Italian. And it was a great way to make sure I was studying really well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> I keep watching the seasonal precure and uh, some other series occasionally, like uh, Flip Flappers a few years ago. Hmm, But sure. now there is less series on TV. So hmm. uh, locally, I don't follow much. Yeah, that's interesting. And that does make sense because, like, the kind of boom of the 2000s, of course, affected what came to Italy. But These days, we don't have as many kids shows as we used to. It's like just Precure. But then from my understanding, uh, Italy stopped with the Precure dub because of Glitter Force, right? Yeah, allegedly that's what happened. I don't mm. have uh, sources I can quote, like trusted sources, but that's the common sure. consensus that uh, once Saban made a deal with Toei, Uh, then Toei stopped working with Italy for some reason, but now the Glitter mm. Force as a franchise is technically dead. I hope that they will try to do something. I don't care what channel, but they're gonna bring <laughs> Precure back because yeah. I am already thinking about what voices would fit the current characters. <laughs> oh, that's how much I would love to see a new season of Precure dubbed in Italy. Yeah, I guess would the last like big import into Italian technically be Miracle Tunes in that case? Ah, uh, yes, you're right. I I think mm. you're right, especially because uh, we made our our own remake. Yeah. <laughs> so we wanted <laughs> to invest. Yeah, it's so interesting. <laughs> <laughs> It is kind of sad to hear that because you know obviously. That was one thing that you could kind of count on before, but nowadays it's it's very different. But of course, at the same time, we also have a lot more Western magical girls, um, including Angel's Friends, which is why we're here. So yeah, what is your history with Angel's Friends in particular? So I watched it when it premiered on TV. It was the year 2009. I was uh, 13. And the first half aired in the afternoon block on Italia Uno, which was the channel that usually imported the, the most magical girl shows. Hmm. Back then, it was a big afternoon block. And uh, Angel Friends, in, the, in its first half, used to air Monday through Friday. Then they did a Christmas break. And when they came back, they started airing the second half two episodes 
in the weekend, like one Saturday and, and the other Sunday.、Hmm. And now that I think about it, I think I know why they made the episode so short. Oh. Because let's take an example My Little Pony, the show G4,、hmm. that show had 20 minute episodes, but when they aired in this block, they chopped it in half. Title of the episode, part one, and then、uh, the day later, title of the episode, part two.、Hmm. Because they wanted to fit more shows in that same block. Ah,、uh, yeah, that makes sense. So I don't know if they produced them like that with this in mind, given that Mediaset was one of the co producers. So probably they had a say in that.、Hmm. But that's a personal、yeah. theory. It would make sense. Because they wouldn't even have to chop the episode in half because it's the perfect length.、Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that definitely,、uh, that's great context, Sarah. Thank you. This is something that happens all the time when we're talking about any show, is trying to get that context for like why it was produced and, and all of that. And, you know, for me, <laughs> I don't actually remember how I found out about Angel's Friends exactly, but, you know, at that time I was in、um, college and、uh, part of. Studying a foreign language at my school was that you had to go to this special area called the language lab where we had、Ooh. lots of computers and you had to basically record yourself being in that room for like I think it was like one hour a week at least. Then I think later it was like two hours, it depended on your level of study. But while I was taking Italian, I would go in there and you know I would do my homework and then I would still have to find more things to do. And so You know, I think the first thing I did was I watched the original Fatima Precure Italian dub because I found that on YouTube. And then、Ooh. I think it was at that time that I discovered Angel's Friends. And I was just immediately fascinated with the concept because、uh, it was Angel's. And, you know, at this point,、um, there was no English dub that was、uh, produced after the fact. And I don't know if it's because it's produced by、um, Mondo, and I noticed that this is the case with a lot of their shows and a lot of things that they have、uh, access to that, like, they do a lot of dubs, their shows, to make sure as many people as possible can watch them. That's what it, at least it feels like. But yeah, I was just really interested because I don't really, like, know a lot about. Angel lore, exactly. But I've always been fascinated with angels as a concept. And devils, like a little bit. Yeah, I don't really have like a, a big connection to them, technically speaking, because I never grew up with any religion that had any sort of creator or anything like that. But I was always interested in mythology. So I felt related to that, I think.、Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I just got into it right away and it was like studying it. And I remember being like excited as I would study more Italian. And I'm going to be clear like, when I was watching this, I always had like wordreference.com open and I was like constantly searching、uh, for vocabulary that like I was hearing like for the first time, trying to understand what people were saying. That's the right method. Yeah. And I'm sure a lot of listeners would.、Uh, Understand my feelings because I know a lot of people do the same thing when watching Japanese magical girl shows. So, <laughs> yeah. That was me watching things in Spanish. <laughs> oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs>、uh, I have one more thing、mm-hmm. about、uh, the Italian context. Oh, sure. Okay, so there was a movie between season one and season two that、mm. aired、uh, two years later in 2011.、Oh, yes. 
on a secondary channel because back then they created thematic channels dedicated to mm-hmm. cartoons. This one was called mm-hmm. Boeing and they aired the movie there. But mm-hmm. season two never aired in Italy. They announced it for the same year and nothing happened. Not a peep. <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll definitely get into it. But the end of season one does suggest that there would be a season two, at least. Yeah. And I remember waiting and waiting, like, when is this going to come? And I think by the time the movie came out, I had, like, almost forgotten. It. No, I didn't I didn't forget about Angel's Friends. But, like, I had forgotten about my constant quest for, like, more Angel's Friends content. And I think the other thing was that because at the time there was no uh, English version yet, it was really hard for me to like find more information because I remember one thing that was really big for me about this series is that I shipped a lot of characters in it. Oh, <laughs> don't we all? It's very interesting because this series is a romance series also, you know, so there are like distinct canon romances. But, you know, the same dynamic is seen in a whole bunch of different characters just by the nature of the show. So I remember thinking, like, I hope that there is, like, you know, fan fiction or something of, like, this ship I have. <laughs> and I was, like, looking on, like, Italian websites looking for fan fiction. And I found it was, like, all... It was all the main couple, uh, Raph and Sulfus. And I remember feeling very disappointed, like, what's the point? They're already canon. (laughs) (laughs) And it was also very clearly like they were written by teenagers. I don't know how I figured that out. But like, I was like reading it like, okay, this is kind of interesting to read bad Italian literature, basically. (laughs) Not to like downplay, but you know, it's like written by kids. And when I was writing fan fiction, when I was 13, it wasn't any good either. (laughs) So, yeah. Basically, you went there for ships and came mm-hmm. back with anthropological studies. <laughs> <laughs> That's of. what happened. I mean, yeah, yeah. That is something that I found very interesting about like my uh, general consumption of media because I tend to gravitate towards media for kids and teenagers. But yeah, so this series in general is very fascinating, but I think we should probably get to the actual story, Um, you know, especially for any listeners who have not watched the series and have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) So um, Angel's Friends is primarily about Ruff, an angel who is 15 stars old, who is joining the Golden School to become a full-fledged guardian angel. The Golden School is both a real school for human students and also technically a place for the um, angels and devils to also study. Like they're like abandoned rooms according to humans, but it's fine. And uh, (laughs) so these angels and devils are studying to become like perfect guardian angels and guardian devils. And they're each assigned one of the uh, humans, which they tend to call earthly ones or terrestrials. And every time their human encounters a conflict, that angel and devil that is assigned to them have to face each other in the challenge room to determine who can go first in actually leading them in the the direction they want to go, whether it's a good direction or bad direction. And so they do a lot of their magic in this form or in the challenge room against each other. But to interact with the humans, they actually go through a transformation sequence and enter a human form, which again is like the first thing I thought that was very fascinating about the show. I just wanted to point out that this is a very peculiar case of reverse magical girl transformation because they already are magical mm. and they yes. are getting uh, um, civilian. 
Yes, yes. I think it's very interesting to see that because it is like, obviously, just like with other transformation sequences, it is a matter of like having stock footage, but they go through yeah. like a transformation too. And they always wear like different civilian clothes. So there's like some fun fashion to it and stuff. We mostly are seeing um, four angels and four devils. So um, Raf's friends are uh, Uri, Miki, and Dolce, who is uh, called Sweet in the English dub. And then the devils that are kind of uh, on the other side of things and they share humans with are uh, Sylphus, Kabiria, Gas, and Kabale. Um, there are other characters, of course, and uh, so on, but those are like the main eight that we see. And uh, Ralph is our main character. You know, generally, it's like they're just like kind of talking trash to each other every time they interact. <laughs> I would say a standard episode, what we would expect is like the humans, because they're teenagers, they're going through a, a normal conflict, and the angel and the devil are both explaining what they think their idea of a right way is before trying to deal with the situation themselves or like convincing the human of what the right thing to do is. And it's all like very normal human conflicts and stuff. And like the different humans have different lives in a way. But uh, that being said, you know, when it comes to the angels and devils, there is uh, something called the veto, which is very important, which means that they cannot touch each other um, and they also cannot get in the way of each other's work. So like if an angel is interacting with the human, their guardian devil is technically not allowed to interfere, even though the devils do that all the time. So whatever. Um, and the reverse is also true. So the beginning of the story, getting to the actual romance part of it all, in the very first challenge versus uh, Sulphus, Raph gets tricked to touching his hand, and that breaks the veto. That leaves them both with a mark, and they have they experience like pain, like it's like an electric shock touching each other. But they have this secret that they have actually broken the veto, and it's very interesting. And meanwhile, we also see in this other world that's called Limbo, we see two characters there. There's a hooded figure whose face is obscured and, um, you know, he is working to help a mysterious woman who's wearing a mask who is clearly chained to her seat there. So clearly they are uh, working to, you know, get her out of there and it seems to be involving Raph and Sulphus. Um, so that's basically how we get into the series. But um, I guess the other thing I wanted to talk about before we get into more specific story arcs is um, talking about the fact that this is a Christian mythology story and um, it's not God heavy, I guess, but it's still very much based in that uh, that world. So I wanted to ask you, Lapis, your history with uh, Christianity, if that is a not weird question. <laughs> no, it's fine. I mean, it, it, unique context. So, okay. I have been raised Christian, as in I have been given all the sacraments that you usually get if you're raised Catholic. So I've been baptized, communion, confirmation, and all that. And uh, I received let's say, um, surface level education when it comes to Christian lore. That is, hmm. I know more about the New Testament, more about Jesus and Vangeli rather than uh, the mythology of angels. As in, yes, I know a few angels, of course, like Gabriel, who gave the message to the Virgin Mary, for instance. But I had to do some research to uh, discover all the types of angels that exist 
to explain the inspiration this show took. Like, I've learned about angels in these past few days a lot more than I ever learned in my <laughs> whole life. Yeah. <laughs> That's intriguing. Because a lot of it comes from the Old Testament, which I am mm. not very knowledgeable of. So it mm -hmm. was very interesting, very interesting research. Yeah, you sent me a really great video, which I'm going to link to in the show notes that goes through all the um, archangels. And I will probably also watch that person's videos on like demon stuff, but I haven't watched it yet as of this recording. So if it's in the show notes, that means that means I've also watched that. But uh, if not, we'll, you know, we'll see. Um, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's like, I'm very removed from it because you know, I grew up in the U.S. So, of course, uh, the majority of people around me were Christian and uh, in my own family on the American side. My grandparents were atheists and my father was atheist, but their families oh, come from uh, Protestant tradition. So, you know, I've been to church for one reason or another. I have seen very different events in church, if that makes sense. It's always like for something big, right? So it's either someone's getting married or someone died or something. So um, it's been an interesting thing, but also, you know, because so many Americans are Christian, a lot of, there's a lot of Christianity and a lot of like just storytelling generally, if that makes sense. So like, for example, by the time I was even thinking of my own stories when I was in elementary school, like my very, very first uh, superheroes that I ever created their father was the devil so it's really interesting to look back and see like how much these stories just like are just kind of part of the social consciousness even if i didn't truly understand it like there was a movie little nikki that was very popular that came out when i was in elementary school and i really enjoyed that movie for some reason even though again i didn't know anything about the lore or whatever and you know i've watched plenty of other things that have this lore in it so it's all very new for me as well but because I didn't grow up with it as like something I believed in it always was just like a kind of just the same as like studying Greek mythology or Egyptian mythology or what have you so yeah that's kind of my approach to this series so I wanted to put that out there also just because unlike a lot of those other mythologies there are many people who uh, are Christian and believe very strongly about it. So I'm sure that there are people for whom this kind of story is not appropriate. So yeah, I guess a warning about that. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty neutral as an interpretation of angels and devils. So I don't think, unless you're the kind of person who gets immediately reactionary just at the mention of angels and devils, mm. then that's a you problem. I mean, I don't want to sound rude, but right, <laughs> it's pretty harmless. Yeah, yeah, I think so too. I would say it's probably fine, but I also know that there are people out there for whom this is a very serious topic that you don't mess around with. So, yeah. <laughs> of course, I mean, yes, I, I do not mean to, to, to offend, of course. I, I'm saying it from a, an average Italian Catholic perspective. Like, sure. at the time, no one... Uh, said anything i mean if if someone protested about it i think i would have heard it somewhere mm. in the news mm. because usually when there is a piece of media that is controversial in italy at least once or twice you will hear it on the news mm. no one mentioned it so <laughs> i think it's fine yeah yeah 
If I can be allowed to make a very, very small digression, just one minute, I will give you an example of what I mean. Sure. Okay, so in the 90s, there was an Italian horror comic that was very, very popular, like it exploded in popularity in that decade, whose name was Dylan Dog. Hmm. And he used the horror concept to do a lot of uh, critique, a lot of social commentary. And some people didn't like that. And so it became kind of controversial. But exactly because it was controversial, more people started reading it. Mm. My point is, if something is controversial, if a media is controversial in Italy, you will hear about it, whether you like it or not. Yeah. So from my personal point of view, Angel's Friends was very fine because no one complained about it. Mm. From an Italian Catholic point of view, hmm, hmm. of course. I don't know how well it would be received from a Protestant point of view or from a, an evangelical point of view. I don't know. Sure. But for Italians, it was fine. Yeah, for sure. One of the reasons why I think it could be a concern, perhaps, is one of the things that's very distinct about this series, and especially in comparison to the comic that it's adapted from, is the art style you know, we have these like 15 year old kids. They're very, very thin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they have like, you know, long legs and they don't wear a whole lot of clothes. I think what they wear is fine, right? But I, I think for sure that this uh, art style was influenced by Wings Club. And I remember like even early on that a lot of people that I experienced like in like the US having issues with the style of Wings Club having like these girls wearing very short skirts and so on and like showing off their long legs and wearing high heels. So I could imagine that there are some people who would think it's kind of weird to put angels in like what might be considered sexy costumes? I'm not sure. Like, for me, it's not sexy, right? That's a fair point. It is definitely very different from how the characters looked originally. So, yeah. <laughs> True, that, that's a good point. This reminds me of uh, how at some point on the American merchandise for the first seasons of Wiz Club, hmm. like for example, I don't know, DVD covers, mm -hmm. they slightly edited the costumes. Ah. Like for instance, characters who had a bare midriff now had a more, uh, some kind of coverage. It was not the same color as the rest of the costume. It felt more like a transparent thing a mesh of a lighter color, like for instance, a blue mask, a light blue costume, but the part covering the midriff was even lighter. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. But she was covered. Yeah, yeah. The, again, that's like, it's something that like comes up a lot in media, of like whatever you dress the girls as is like what the girls are going to want to dress as at, ho at home. And certainly there's reason to be concerned about that, but I don't think that people are going to try to dress like these angels exactly. Um, but sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of those outfits are actually impractical, mm -hmm. in my opinion. Oh, definitely. The easiest one to reproduce is Mickey's. Ah, yes, yes. Because she has like pants and she has a sweater over a shirt, so. Yeah. No, yeah. To be fair, they have a bit of variety when it comes to the fashion. The, the angelic and uh, diabolical fashion is a bit weird, so they stand out a little from, uh, from humans, hmm. at least. 
that's that's an interesting thing from a character design point of view. Sure. Also, the background characters, like if you see background devils or background angels, they don't look plain. Mm. That's neat. They had fun with the background characters, I think. So getting to the actual main story and its arc. So again, these are very short episodes. They're about, you know, if you remove the uh, the intro, outro part, it's about 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it is 52 episodes, it's quite short in terms of like how much time actually spent watching them because you can kind of skip the credits and so on. But <laughs> a different angel, often we're seeing them like deal with a problem that their terrestrial has, their earthly one has. And then in the meantime, we also see like this hooded guy running around sometimes. So the first thing that happens that's like really big is the spider that they unleash. Yes. It happens very early on, but... You know, there's like this kind of weird little spider that they keep trying to uh, sick on um, Roth and Sulphus, and they are, of course, successful. The the general result is that it seems to make them uh, even more like desiring of like being in each other's presence and like actually interacting in a more serious way. Because it's like, you know, this is the ultimate enemies to lovers story. <laughs> true. Yeah. And um, again, this is technically true of like every single pair of angel and devil, but it's only this particular pair that seems to have the chemistry necessary that Reina has her eyes set on them. <laughs> uh, there are jokes in the fandom that Reina is a shipper. <laughs> yeah, it definitely feels that way. <laughs> She really acts like it. <laughs> I mean, it's for uh, personal reasons, of course. for selfish reasons, but you can make a meme or two out of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. There were a few days where I was like watching episodes of the series where other people were with an earshot and they were like, what is happening? <laughs> it was like, it was like <laughs> cut to her just being like, kiss, kiss. It's very funny. <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, very much acts like a fandom shipper, for sure. (laughs) Uh, We haven't mentioned that this woman spies them from windows that look like holographic screens. Mm -hmm. So, out of context, it looks like she's watching a telenovela. (laughs) Sure, yeah, it does look like she's watching TV, for sure. It's very fun. (laughs) Very convenient. Yeah, yeah. So to be fair, I like that. It makes uh, her lair a bit more peculiar. Like you wouldn't expect this almost technological aspect of her magic. Yeah. It's an interesting integration. Like you would expect magical portals, Mm -hmm. I don't know, crystal balls. No, it's an holographic screen. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the hooded man can get in and get out of it. She cannot, but he can. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can open them anywhere. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. So, like, generally, you know, the characters are using magic. That's very clearly labeled as magic. But some of the magic is very modern. For example, one of the big things that uh, Dolce can use is video fly, which uh, can, like, basically project holograms. And she also has sound fly, which seems to generally be musical related. There are certainly some, like, instances of kind of technological things or more modern take on magic which is fun (laughs) yeah their powers seem to be somehow not entirely but a little bit related to their interests Mm. which 
makes me confused about Dolce. Like you could have made her interested at least a little bit in video making mm. and her powers would make sense. Yeah. But she never mentioned it not even once, which is a shame. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You could have um, subverted the expectations on her by making her interested in both fashion and technology. Sure. That would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. Her writing is really generally peculiar, so it's a... Uh, <laughs> <yeah. laughs> we'll probably get to more of that later, but there were a lot of first thought things with her character, I feel like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They needed some spell check, some writing check, but <laughs> no one showed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There are... That's my theory. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, just a lot of interesting things about the the general production with this series. But yeah, as we, you know, are getting through the show, like there's this clear tension between Raph and Selfis as they seem to want to actually spend more time together, which finally leads to this interesting series of events where they're both tricked to coming to the challenge room together, getting trapped inside. And uh, this is also like the first time we kind of see like the ability of angels and devils to kind of work together when necessary because um yeah when people figure out that their friends are in trouble they go into the challenge room to help them so we see like a whole adventure there and a lot of different things happening there while Raph and Selfis are alone together which is again very dangerous <laughs> <laughs> I think for how they presented it it's a cultural thing for them to distrust the other immediately so when they start working together they kind of question a little bit everything they know because they're like ah so you guys are actually neat sometimes <laughs> yeah it's funny but sometimes they have this development and then they backtrack on it it's a little frustrating i mean it makes sense mm -hmm. realistically but it's a bit frustrating yeah, yeah. They could be friends. But yeah, so the labyrinth is also very interesting that they get sent to because um, it's full of these, um, what basically look like they're meant to be Mesoamerican pictures. Um, they refer to them as frescoes in both uh, Italian and in English, which is very amusing to me because... Yeah, it's weird. I mean, frescoes are a very particular type of artistry, which was really popular in ancient Greece in particular. And this is like a word that didn't enter my personal vocabulary until I was in high school. And that was only because I went to art school. So like I had to study them in art history class. But like the average person is not going to know what a fresco is. So I find it really funny that like that's the word that they kept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think they wanted to sound fancy. <laughs> That makes sense, yeah. So, I mean, I don't know the correct word, but it surely is not a fresco. I would say, like, probably mural is fine, or like... Um, yeah. I mean, they're, they're pictures that are telling a story, and there are lots of different cultures that have had that particular thing. But again, it doesn't specify where, and also, we never know, like, where the Golden School is exactly, which we'll probably get to uh, when they get more backstory later, but... It's so confusing. Yeah. <laughs> but it's definitely Mesoamerican coded, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, as they're going through and also getting chased by like a minotaur, they find this one room that shows that like 
there was this uh, ancient angel and ancient devil that happened to look exactly like buff, gender-bent versions of Raph and Sulphus. Um, <laughs> and uh, they kiss. And that's like a, a whole thing. It's like, oh, okay. So there has been a time in history where an angel and a devil kissed. And yet we're still here. So it's interesting. Uh, honestly, that scene is funny because <laughs> Solfus looks at, at Immutal and he's like, oh, but those two are kissing. Yeah. <laughs> like, with with an incredible amazement in his voice. Yeah. It was, it was very funny when I watched it the first time. Mm-hmm, it was mm-hmm. very funny. But yeah, so, you know, we get this like kind of moment of near kissing as um, Rap and Solfus are like kind of figuring stuff out. Also, during this whole like arc, we learn that if they enter their terrestrial forms, if they're human, they can touch each other all they want, and it's fine, apparently. <laughs> so that's interesting. So they do spend a lot of time um, in their earthly form, um, so that they can like hold hands and stuff as they run around the labyrinth, and then only transform when the Minotaur shows up, forcing them to like have to use their powers and stuff. And, uh, you know, we get this very, like, you know, near-miss situation. Reyna's furious because she wanted them to kiss already. <laughs> but she, that just means she has to work harder uh, to get her ship to become canon. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, I guess the next big thing is Caves of Obscurity, or the Obscuria Caves. <laughs> Again, a lot of the English dub does a lot of, like, very direct anglicization, so... Um, that those are the names that are fresher to me in my memory because <laughs> I rewatched this in English. I mean that that's fair. That's my favorite arc, the Obscuria Cave arc. It's very neat because a lot of things were going on. There was a lot of tension. The setting was new. Hmm. Yeah. So this one it kind of also brings in the humans a little bit more. So you know after the labyrinth situation and like knowing that. They almost kissed. Like, there's, like, all this worry about making sure that Raph and Sylphus stay away from each other. They don't do anything because if they were to kiss, it would be what's called a sacrilege, right? So, like, that would cause, like, great, terrible things to happen in the world, you know? So the worst thing that could possibly happen is an angel and a devil kissing. Um, <laughs> so Reina has to try different things to get them to be alone together. She has to think, like, with a really big plans. So these caves are something that she gets the golden school interested in so like the students are going to go on a school trip there and so that means that the angels and devils have to follow alongside and it's a really long trip like they have to all take a big bus and the angels and devils also share a bus which is very interesting lore like this flying bus thing that's like kind of a sphere shape <laughs> yeah i know that one is so cool i i like the idea that they have these vehicles to look very futuristic and a little alien mm-hmm, it's very mm-hmm. nice yeah i think they call it uh Olosfera or something like that oh that makes sense hmm i think they probably had some kind of interesting special name for it in english too but i do not remember <laughs> i mean that's fair it's not very relevant it's okay yeah, small detail <laughs> so yeah so they had you know this this whole thing about going to this uh cave the way that it's advertised is clearly not actually what the place is. And at this point, because they're trying to keep Raph and Sylphus away from each other, uh, they also get assigned different humans to take care of. So at this point, 
Raph has to take care of uh, these twins that recently moved to town. They're uh, Julia and Elena. It's like an interesting challenge for her for a lot of reasons. But I think that I guess the main plot human-wise for this trip is actually with uh, Ginevra or uh, Jennifer, she's called in English, because she gets very sick and the angels want her to stay home. The devils are fine with her going until it's revealed that like she could be very seriously ill. So it's like the devils have limits for like what bad stuff is allowed. Yeah, some devils uh, have a little bit better morals than others. Like for mm. instance, Kabilia, assigned to Ginevra, is actually very caring for being a devil. Like she wants her to do wrong stuff. But at the same time, she doesn't want her to get hurt. So mm. when she sees that she collapses because she has high fever, she gets incredibly worried. Yeah. I appreciate that. It's nice. It gives nuance to the devils. Mm. Meanwhile, there is Calabale, who is on the other side of the spectrum, <laughs> because in a different episode, she really encourages Eduardo to speed with a motorcycle. Oh, yeah. And she doesn't care if he risks a car accident. That's very mean. Yeah. <laughs> we have a variety yeah. on who's the most evil devil around here. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Like, she's very good at her job, but a little too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. We forgot to mention another thing that happens in this arc. That Ralph and Sulfus not only get separated by getting assigned to different humans, mm. but they also get assigned a guardian, respectively. Yes. Gabby and Misha. Yeah, that was such an interesting choice because it's like Gabby and Misha are clearly already full-fledged guardians. And so they're trying to stop them from getting distracted and just keeping them away from each other. And um, there's definitely like almost immediately this kind of tension of like them being potential romantic interests, but we don't actually know how old they are, which is weird. And I mean, they're implied to have graduated right. as a very least mm -hmm. because they are guardians officially. Right. So they are 18 at best. Hmm. Yeah, it's kind of unclear. I guess it's also because of the time limit of the show. There are a lot of like lore things that are not spelled out exactly because like, for example, you know, Miki is an angel who was supposed to graduate the year before, but did not. And so she's kind of stuck there as like a, I guess what we would might call a super senior or something, mm. you know, trying to graduate again. And they don't really talk about her age, but she's generally implied to be only one year older than the other girls. So it's it's just unclear, generally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They actually state in the comics why she has to repeat the, the year. Hmm. In the comics, she broke the veto by using her powers to heal her terrestrial. Ah. Hmm. Which is interesting. Yeah. A bit unfair, though, because she was like nine. Like, <laughs> why would you expect her to not do that? Right. It was a very nice thing to do. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. <laughs> <laughs> In the show, they never they never stated. Right. But for all I know, she could have broken the veto. In the show as well. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think it's fine if you don't have time for that sort of thing. But as far as like, you know, with Gabby and Misha, it does feel kind of important to know how old they are um, because they're being presented as potential <laughs> romantic interests. 
and all of that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so they are, they are supposed to be protecting them at this time, but they end up in the caves alone uh, with a few of the humans as well. And that's when things get very interesting. <laughs> okay, so they are stuck there. Mm-hmm. And outside, in front of the bus, there is all angels and devils. Mm-hmm. And everyone is like, oh no, Ruff is stuck with Sulfus. Sulfus is stuck with Ruff. And then Gas, the only sensible person, and Mickey, the only sensible person, they raise a finger and say, yeah, okay, what about the terrestrials? They're also in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I found it funny because they are usually the two characters who are sidelined the most, mm-hmm. usually. And then they come up with the most sensible thing to say. I find it funny. Yeah, they're very interesting in how they're written as well. <laughs> Sometimes they forget they exist. Mm-hmm. I know it's hard to handle eight characters at once, mm-hmm. but it's a bit sad. Yeah, we do. Um, I do wish that we had more time with more of the characters. And I don't know if maybe season two has a more equal distribution of story, but whenever I watch it, we'll get to it. I've heard good things. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I've heard that Mickey and Gas actually do stuff. Hmm. Great. Yeah. So that's that's neat, mm. at least. <laughs> yeah. Before I forget, I was going to say that we need to mention the little creatures yes. of, of this arc. The way that everything is like set up is basically literally as soon as they enter the cave, both of uh, Raph's humans, and I, I guess it's Sylphus's human at the time. I don't remember which one it is. It's the guy with blue hair. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Matteo. Yes, yes. He is called Matthew in English, which makes sense. Um, <laughs> they all go in after their terrestrials and, you know, there's like this mysterious purple light and a bunch of rocks fall and they get stuck inside. It is very interesting because there's like this recurring thing that appears with this particular trio of humans where like, I guess Matteo is into both of the twins and they're both into him. Uh, and it's like, fine. <laughs> Which is like very interesting, very I progressive. Mean, good for them. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's like a, a pool and they all go swimming and you know, Ruff and Self has joined them and like that's when they're like visible to the humans for the first time, which is so weird. But in order to distract the angels and devils, they sent these these things that are like little monkeys that apparently come from the land of limbo. So they're very difficult to defeat. But yeah, they, they're sent there. Like, there's, like, just hordes of them coming after them to attack the terrestrials. So, you know, it's a very good distraction, you know, for Raph and Sylphus to finally kiss, or that's what we think is going to happen. Um, <laughs> so this part is so interesting because, like, you know, there's, there's on the one hand, you know, them trying to help out. And there's, like, a monster inside the lake or whatever in the cave. It's all really wild. But after they save the terrestrials, there's like this moment where there's a chance for them to kiss. And Raph is like, oh, you know, I want to kiss you too, but we can't. And Selfless is like, oh, well, I respect your decision. And I was like, oh, that's nice. (laughs) That's refreshing. Yes, yes. Amazing. (laughs) This very bars on the floor levels of romance. But yeah, (laughs) but yeah, so, you know, they're able to get out and they don't kiss after all, which again, is very frustrating 
for uh, Reina. So she prepares one final test, which is regarding this uh, competition between the devils and angels, which is very interesting because the whole idea of it is that at the end, it will result in either one devil or one angel being expelled from school, which is like very serious. You know what it reminded me of, unfortunately? Survivor. Oh. <laughs> what is this, a reality show? <laughs> it does kind of have the same energy, I suppose. <laughs> Just the idea of voting one person off. Yeah. It reminded me of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that makes sense. One thing I really enjoyed about it is like it is a way for them to uh, like get new powers, which is cool. Yes. Mm. That's also a favorite arc of mine. It's very neat. Like, almost everyone gets a new power, and if they don't get it now, they get it later in Season 2. Right. But almost everyone gets one year. Mm -hmm. It's very neat. Basically, they have individual challenges, one-on-one, -on -one, and a team challenge. Mm -hmm. Right? If I recall correctly. Yes. But uh, Reina sets it up so that the orb that decides who goes against who is um, set up so that they do the group challenge and then the final challenge is rough and selfish and so this is the time where they finally get them alone together for good what's very interesting is that uh, they're sent back in time so yes. yeah <laughs> just a lot of different stuff happening here and this results in them actually seeing for the first time the aforementioned devil and angel that were caught kissing in the fresco Tycho and Sai it's very, very interesting to see, like, it's very much the reversal, like, they literally, again, are gender-bent versions of Raph and Selfis. Um, so it's it's very literal, like, what is trying to be uh, portrayed here. But yeah, it's, uh, it's a lot of, of fun um, to see, like, how this happens. And then it leads to, you know, seeing them kiss for the first time, because, like, they're, like, fighting it out and stuff. And then Raph and Selfis are also fighting... And um, it leads to them also getting new powers. And then finally, they end up kissing also. And so that's kind of our our midway point in the series. Um, a lot has happened in just half a show, but <laughs> yeah. It's kind of impressive. Yeah, it's very interesting because like I've been thinking about it considering, you know, right now in Japan, we're getting the girls' heroine show Kiromeki Powers and also Rizstar are sharing a time slot. So they're both uh, much shorter episodes. And it feels like not a lot happens in these episodes because they're so used to producing longer shows, like longer episodes. But in comparison, Angel's Friends, a lot of stuff happens. So it's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'll give it to them. Whatever they're writing, they make it interesting. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. It's very fun. You know, its popularity is uh, not unwarranted. I think it is a very entertaining show. So this is also the spoiler point for anyone who has not watched the show. Again, it takes an afternoon to catch up. It's really not that long. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is, uh, it is very interesting. And there are still a lot of twists and turns in the second half of the first season. Even more so than before. Yeah. Can I point out a thing before we move on? Sure. Okay. So you said that often soldiers awake new powers while they're fighting. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing is that they their powers are a bit ironic. Yes. Like Raph discovers in flame. Like she basically has fire powers. Yes. But they're stronger than soldiers because it's a blue flame. And a blue flame scientifically 
burns hotter than a red flame. Yes. Meanwhile, Sulfus awakens the power to heal, which is a very angelic thing to do. Yes. I think it's very nice because it's a symbol of how these two influenced each other in a way mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. uh, managed to make each other um, get in touch with the nuances of their personalities. Because despite being an angel, Raph is quite of a hot-headed person. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Solfus, despite being a devil, he's actually a pretty carry person. He's a good dude. He just <laughs> has a job. Yeah, yeah. It's really interesting. I mean, the way that it happens is like, you know, because they have at this point just touched each other a whole bunch, technically. Um, <laughs> so like when Ralph <laughs> gets her in flame, you know, it feels very different. And it even is like her only move that doesn't have fly at the end of it. And she immediately is like blaming self as like, what did you do to me? Yeah, it's very, very interesting. So she's like immediately like, I'm going to attack you with this fire because he has firefly. That is one of his like signature moves. So it would make sense that that would have that effect on her. Um, but yeah, she does not take it well at first. <laughs> yeah. When you get to know Bible lore, the firepower for an angel is not actually out of place. Sure. Because when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Eden, an archangel with a fiery sword is put to guard the entrance of the garden. Hmm. So yeah, angels have fire. And that's a thing. For sure. But yeah. it was pretty ironic for her. That does go with the like ideas of um, the kind of image that angels have versus like how they are presented in the Bible. For sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I think, you know, it makes sense that like they're really going with like the kind of pop culture idea of angels versus like how they're presented in the bible <laughs> yeah we will see that later mm -hmm. with um, some other angels that will show up that's true so um we get the kiss and it is you know a very big deal we see how the sacrilege affected the past right with like destroying this mesoamerican city and they have kind of stereotypical i'm not sure what's going on there like depictions of humans of the time you know like freaking out that the, the world is being destroyed and stuff so i don't really know what's going on there but raf and selfis do get back to their time and we see that you know of course everyone is shocked and disgusted and everything and because they have committed a sacrilege they're going to have to go to trial and uh, possibly be expelled. So that's kind of the assumed thing that's going to happen is that they're both going to get kicked out of the golden school. Because of the sacrilege, this does free Reina from limbo, which means she can finally mm -hmm. leave. And also she can finally be unmasked, I guess. So I don't know if she had to keep that yeah. mask on for hundreds of years or however long she was there. But we finally do see her face and we see uh, Malakia's face from this point yeah. on. Although we actually saw his face yes. more than once before. That's... We just didn't know it was him. Yes. I mean, I knew it was him when he was the bus driver for the Obscuria cave arc. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was clear. Yeah, that seemed a little obvious. But yeah, he also works in the cafeteria, right? Like at the mall or something. Like he, I think it's a hot dog stand that we kind of just see him yeah. working there. That man is everywhere. Yeah, it's like never pointed out ever. <laughs> and I was like, wait a second, because 
I'm pretty sure I did not notice the first time I watched this series, but watching it this time, I was like, hold on, he's right there. No one is going to say anything. <laughs> it's it's very funny. But yeah, so we do finally see him running around now, like, because he has, like, basically this, like, kind of tracksuit. It's, like, spider Rocky is his whole vibe, and then, like, he just takes off his hood. Spider Rocky! <laughs> I don't know, because it's, like, all gray. You're correct. That's so true. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's very interesting how... It's a very casual outfit. I mean, it's convenient for sneaking. Oh, for sure. Yeah, very quiet. And very comfortable. You know, you gotta be... You gotta be really, you know, as comfortable as possible when you're committing crimes and doing evil. So, it's fine. I totally get it. <laughs> yeah. I, I honestly want that tracksuit. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Reina Couture. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's, you know, he's dressed exactly the same, but he has his hood down now, so we can finally see his face. And he looks like a pretty normal guy, um, which we'll find out more about later. But so this trial is very interesting because, you know, at this point, they don't know why, but they kind of figure out, like, something's going on. There's a reason why this is happening to us. You know, there seems to be a lot of coincidences yeah, so far they say our enemy because they don't even know. Yeah. But they know that someone out there is plotting. They just don't have the proof yet. Mm. Rina so far is very low-key. She will stay low-key for a few episodes mm. because they know she is out, but she doesn't want it to be easier for them to track her, obviously. Mm-hmm. She also has to set up her old house too, you know, <laughs> now that she's True. out. Yeah. We're going to do some renovations. <laughs> yeah. She's spending her time just relaxing at home, you know, finally being able to go back. So that's cool for her. Doing some gardening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was like the first thing she did is bring a whole bunch of plants back to life. So it's like, how long have those been dead? You know, so, you know, she's busy with that. And um, Raph and Sophis are trying to defend themselves, but they don't really have a defense. So... You know, the others decide to try to uh, go into Raph's memories to figure out what happened. And they're able to uh, get a picture of the spider because one of the big things about Uri, she has this camera that's called a digidream that like takes yeah. pictures of your dreams, which feels very weird and invasive, but happens to be very plot convenient <laughs> for this particular moment. So they're able to get a picture of the spider and they're able to kind of figure out there's something wrong. There are two professors that are like the major mentors for the angels. There's uh, Professor Arkin, who is an angel, and then there's also Professor Temptel, who is a devil. And um, they decide to go figure out what's going on. Yeah, they investigate at the same time as the angels do. Mm -hmm. Can I mention a, a thing for a moment oh, about yes. Urie and the Digi Dream? Yes. So basically, they have this interesting thing that when they enter Raph's dreams, they enter her subconscious, so they travel through her memories. Hmm. But at some point, when they're about to go through the memory of the two of them running around and being bit by the spider, they encounter a creature that is called a memo block. Yes. Which is basically a block created by Raph's subconscious because she doesn't want to remember, to relieve that memory because it feels painful. So they have to defeat the damn thing, which 
I will admit it's visually very interesting because they are living a memory that is inside a classroom. Suddenly, these pieces of chalk build together and create this sort of chalk creature that shoots pointy chalks Mm -hmm. at the angels. I think it's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. I wonder if they do that again in season two. Like, the idea of traveling through someone's subconscious is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. The way they defeat it is anticlimactic because they don't even defeat it themselves. Yeah. It's surface from the outside that comforts Raph. Like, he gives her a little kiss on, on the hand. Mm-hmm. She feels better. She smiles. And the memo block is gone. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. Like, congrats. Congrats, girls. You did nothing. Yeah, it's so frustrating because they do everything to try to defeat it. And it's, like, impossible to defeat. And, like, you know, at the same time, because there was a trial and they were apparently not at the trial for some reason, but um, they were found to be guilty of a sacrilege. So they're going to get taken away. So, like, as all the angels are sleeping, and um, I think eventually also uh, Kabbalah and Kabiria do join them, you know, meanwhile, like, they have to try to stop the Seraphim and I can't remember the other one. And Malebolge. Yes. Okay, so the trial thing is that the professors said, we're going to ask for the high and low spheres to judge you. And when we get the judgment back, you'll know. So that day they get the letter. How did they how did they call it in English? The devilgram. <laughs> yes, the devilgram. <laughs> that was so nice. That was funny. Basically they get the telegram, but it's called devilgram. Mhm. And uh, it says that they are expelled. Yeah. So that very same day, not the, the day after, these authorities sent from the high and low spheres are coming to take them back, to take them home. Yes. Sophus is being carried away and he kisses Ruff and that's enough to make everything better and he she wakes up finally and all this stuff and it's like okay I guess <laughs> okay yeah the power of love I guess yeah yeah I mean that was very tender it was cute but mm-hmm. still I could I can guess that like there were probably a lot of younger viewers of this show that would find Sylphus to be like very charming um <laughs> despite the fact that he's literally a <laughs> devil <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of people crashed on Solfas when they were young. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we have that. And then, like, because of the whole, like, situation, they're able to prove them innocent. And Arkin and Teptel come back to say the same thing. Like, we figured out that it was what they referred to as the neutral one, very vaguely. Yeah. And so they're able to get them to stay in school. So that's all taken care of, which is great. That's neat. Yes. Though, I will say, my favorite part of this arc, despite the, the DG dream concept, is uh, seeing Arkan and Temtel having a bit of playful banter while they're in limbo looking for hints. Mm-hmm. It's nice. They have a nice body cop dynamic over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we get to see they have powers as well. I mean, of course, but mm-hmm. we never saw them until now. Like, if I recall correctly, yes. they can track the scene, as in Arkan can uh, detect a trace of a scene that has been committed mm-hmm. and uh, Temtel can track the guilt person. So yes. they create these 
peculiar visual tracks around limbo and mm-hmm. they try to follow that to get out mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah it's it's a lot of fun it's very it's it's a nice little thing to see them uh, work together for sure <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so everything gets wrapped up there and it's very interesting that they like reverse everything to the point that they now get to go back to taking care of the same human they trust them a lot. Yeah, it's like, huh, okay. You know, it's like everything seems to be basically back to normal for a little bit as far as the angel and devil stuff is concerned. Yeah. It's a bit uneventful on the the Sempiternal side, but we get some interesting terrestrial plot. Yeah. I mean, we have episode 35, which is basically an anti-doping PSA. <laughs> yes, that's very interesting. <laughs> um, that was, uh, yeah, it was fun. And episode 36 and 37 are basically about Eduardo and Ginevra, because Eduardo is the son of divorced parents, and uh, his father has been absentee for quite a while and he's disappointed and in a fit of rage he ends up uh, thrashing the classroom basically Ginevra sees him and the conflict is should she tell the teachers that she saw him and uh, the main conflict is that if she does it's a very easy win for her to get nominated president of the student council hmm yeah. So is it a good thing or not? Basically, she ends up giving in to her worst instinct and uh, doing that. She says it's Eduardo. Basically, she does a technically anonymous thing because mm-hmm. no one knows it was her. Right. But then, thanks to Urie, who uses the Digidream to make her have a bad dream about it, she manages to realize that she is condemning Eduardo to a miserable life. Mm-hmm. I mean, Urie exaggerated that to make her feel guilty. Yes. <laughs> Th- there is this whole imagery as Ginevra dressed as a judge and Eduardo uh, in handcuffs as a as a guilt as a guilt person. Mm-hmm. And basically, Ginevra feels bad, and the next day she confesses. She renounces the the title of president. Eduardo forgives her. Everyone is fine. Hmm. But it was interesting for them. Yeah. It gave them a little bit of depth. Mm-hmm. So it was the new normal, but interesting at least. Yeah. The stories with the, the humans are always very interesting. Like, this show could have very easily been a very episodic series about, like, angels and devils helping or hurting their humans that they are in their charge but of course there's this whole other thing about it so it's it is really interesting to see when they focus on that like what the situations are true when i rewatched it i didn't have much memory of the first half of the season Mm -hmm. so i expected it to be very episodic then after the first six episodes, the spider comes in and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Right, I forgot about this. There's so much narrative. <laughs> like, when you actually think about it, it's really incredible. <laughs> All these little arcs <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. True. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And finally, we come to the mystery party. Yes, yes. So the mystery house is where Reina lives, which is very funny because even she calls it the mystery house because it's like, that's your house. There's no mystery when it's yours, <laughs> but okay. It's a very interesting little arc because we see these flyers 
all over the town for this party so all the humans are gonna go and so likewise all the angels and devils convince you know their professors to be allowed there as well and in particular to be allowed to be there in human form which is very unique so we do get to see everyone in costume yeah and most famously like Sophus is dressed as an angel and uh, Ruff is de- dressed as a devil so and they did a very good job yeah yeah uh, it's very interesting to see and I want to say it, f- it felt like a little bit of foreshadowing as well because yeah at this point we know who Reina is but they, they don't know what she looks like so they, they think oh she could be anywhere um but we do get by this point the story as is known of her past. Oh yeah. Yeah. So almost forgot about that. <laughs> yes. Important. But um, you know, she was not always a neutral figure. She was born an angel and was tasked with protecting Malakia, who we know to be now her servant, in trying to protect him because he was going down a dark path she decides that she's going to try to make him fall in love with her. And when that doesn't work, she instead decides to uh, steal his portrait. So the portrait room we haven't actually mentioned, but is kind of important near the end here, is uh, this room in the Golden School that is full of pictures of every human, basically probably every human in the area, but the implication is every human on Earth. So there are a lot of pictures, and we do see the room throughout the series. Um, you know, whenever someone does a good thing or a bad thing that changes their portrait, it's always uh, depicted there. But she accessed that portrait and thus has full control of Malakia, which is a big deal because the whole point of their job is, uh, as angels and devils, is to um, no matter what they do, they can't get in the way of the free will of humans. So um, yeah, one thing I have to say. I think it's implied that it's every human on Earth because yes. of later events. Hmm. Because otherwise, Reina's threats wouldn't have the same weight if sure. it were only the people in the area. <laughs> That's true. Yes. Uh. Yes. Yeah, it is definitely implied to be every everyone, but it's also like... That's very difficult to imagine uh, based us logistically on, you know, how many people there are in the world. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. to be fair, it could be some sort of uh, pocket dimension that keeps expanding. Mm-hmm. That's true. But yeah, so we get to the, the Halloween party. We see lots of fun costumes. There's a lot of uh, fun there with everyone hanging out. And then suddenly all the humans um, pass out. and <laughs> Just like that. Yeah, very. It's just okay. And then the uh, the angels and devils are, are looking to figure out what's going on uh, because they, they figure out that this must be a Reina plot. So they go looking for her. Yeah. And uh, because they see the purple light mm-hmm. and they recognize the same light they saw in the in the caves. Yes. They're uh, going throughout the mansion and um, in pairs, different pairs of uh, angels and devils get uh, kind of picked off. In the end, they're, they're fine, but like it's basically just to separate them from Raph and Sulphus so that they're the only yeah. ones alone together. They discover a uh, music box that has an image of them as a bride and groom. So it's, it looks kind of like a wedding cake. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cute. It is cute. That that could be merch, but uh, unfortunately, it's not. <laughs> and um, they they pass out and um, have a very interesting dream where they're getting married. And the whole idea is like in the dream they're going to become human 
and they're going to stay human forever because they're in love and stuff. And it's like a very cute idea, but uh, of course it's not real. And um, they wake up and uh, it, <laughs> it's very interesting because then they get to meet Rena for the first time and she has a lot of uh, ideas. I love that when she confronts them, she's like, would you like some tea? Yes, she's so casual about it. Like <laughs> she pretends with them that like, she did nothing wrong that like she was just showing the wrong of the world and everything because like she committed a sacrilege by falling in love with a human and taking his portrait and also enslaving him and stuff presumably for a very long time because when she was an angel and uh, Malachia was a human originally before all of those events this was supposed to be in Paris in it seems like the late 1800s but it's really unclear exactly when um but it's a while ago yeah at the, at the very least two centuries yeah yeah i mean the Eiffel, the Eiffel tower is there yes that's true so it can be that early sure but yeah so like then you know she is kind of trying to present them with a different alternative and stuff and then when that doesn't work she lets them go eventually and after they've been trying to fight her and she's like, whatever. Like, it's very clear she's very strong and all that. But, um, you know, uh, she does leave a hint to Raph about her having a more mysterious past than she might expect, which is, mm -hmm. uh, again, very interesting. So, you know, she first suggests to Raph that, you know, she's not actually a true angel, um, meaning that she was born a human and um, the whole thing was uh, she has a birthmark on her neck, which conveniently you yeah. would never be able to see. But once she lifts up her hair, it's there. <laughs> she gives Rafa's whole story about how her parents were a king and queen who died in an accident. And, um, you know, the only way she's going to be able to see her parents is if she goes to the portrait room. But in order to go to the portrait room, you need one angel and one devil, and you need to know a very particular incantation. So it's like a whole thing about Ruff kind of becoming a little evil, not evil, but like yeah. just doing some bad. Ruff corruption she... arc. Yes. Because <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't trust anyone anymore. She could have probably just solved this by actually talking to Arkin or something, but... Yeah, but probably she expected lies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, the mm -hmm. only person she talks to is Selfis, who she wants to help her to open up the portrait room. And, you know, it takes some time and she does some sneaking to find out the incantation. And then finally, um, they do do it together. And that is enough for Reina to jump right in and steal all the portraits. And she's like, oh, surprise, your parents are not here. <laughs> it's very mm -hmm. sad. But this makes me wonder about something, though. Mm-hmm. According to Reina's story, the parents are dead. Yes. So you're telling me that not only there are the portraits of everyone alive, but also everyone who lived? That's a very good question. <laughs> That's a lot going on in that room. Yeah, yeah. Well, as we will later learn, she wasn't telling the truth anyway, so probably that's not True. actually accurate. But how is Ralph to know that, you know? Poor girl. <laughs> yeah, so then... Um, Reina sends Malachi to help her to collect all of the portraits. And so Ref passes out and wakes up and Selfis is like, yeah, all the portraits are gone. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of like, like um, exposition 
that happens, especially at the end here with stuff. But um, True. yeah, it's still more bearable than than the exposition we got uh, while they were waiting for Serafine and Malebolge to show up. That's true. Yeah, that was the most intense <laughs> peak of exposition of the show mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but we do get a little bit more at the end here. But in any case, so uh, Reina now has all the portraits, which means she now has control of humankind, um, which mm-hmm. is pretty serious. The angels and devils have to work together and they have to um, get their soldiers, I guess. There was yeah. a more technical term for them, but I don't remember what it is. Oh, goodness. I don't know how they're called in English, but in Italian they said schiere angeliche, schiere diaboliche, I think. Hmm. As in schiera is kind of like a troops, sentry. And they're also very different. Like all the angels are pretty much in formation, very in unison. Yeah, very Roman. Yes. I know the devils are very like all over the place. There's definitely some weird like they definitely borrow from a ton of cultures with the devils for some reason. Yeah. So there's that. They have some gladiator vibe. Hmm. Yeah, with some of Among them. Among the other things. Yeah, definitely a very interesting kind of a, a more chaotic group <laughs> to be yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so they try to fight off. Reina and it doesn't work and she finally threatens them like I'm going to kill all the humans unless you all leave in 48 hours so I guess presumably they're gonna go back to their own uh, towns um, wherever they live yeah that's what I assumed yeah they just like talk about having to leave earth so it's like I guess that's what that means and um, at first you know Temtel was gonna continue the fight but Arkin was like no we have to always put the humans first so they have to stop and um they actually are considering like leaving but then Ruff has a plan and mm-hmm. she acts like she wants to stay with reina and work for her instead there's like a whole thing about her working with everyone to pretend to fight back and attack the school but the school's fine. Everyone's fine. <laughs> um, yeah. For once, Dolce has a moment of triumph. Yes. <laughs> because if it weren't for Dolce, we, they wouldn't do that plan. Yes, it's very true. She was able to use her video fly uh, hologram powers to uh, make it look like the school was being destroyed, which is very impressive because it's a very big school. <laughs> so she stays with Reina, finds out there's like a key to a hidden room and she like immediately goes after the key which is very funny mm-hmm. and in doing so she finds the portrait room and discovers um, Malakia's portrait and he also sees it at the same time which makes him remember everything including that he is Raf's father <laughs> which is dun, quite dun, a surprise dun. yeah <laughs> it happens very fast um I don't know how it sounds in Italian, but in English it sounds very awkward how quickly everything happens, you know, because it's all like in one episode, one scene. It's a little awkward in Italian too. Yeah. <laughs> but at least at least the acting on Malachia's part feels very genuine. Hmm. Like, it's fast, but it makes sense because everything is flashing back and the, the happiness with which he says, oh, you, I am your father. Like, it sounds very genuine. Mm. It's sweet. It's, uh, they try their best in English, I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
Yeah, Adam they did Wayne their best. Them. With this very last minute thing, we discover that, like, yeah, Ralph was uh, Malachia's child, and, you know, he, his wife, uh, Angeline, was taken somewhere. We don't know where, but um, that was the reason why, like, Ralph was turned into an angel after all of those things happened with him and, and Reina. It's, like, very unclear exactly why she was made into an angel, but that seems to be the reason. It's, like, you know, just, like, guilt or something. Yeah, basically, that part of Reina's story was accurate, in my opinion. Like, they mm -hmm. felt bad about it because it was an angel who did this mess. Yes. So they were like, the least that we can do is adopting the child. Yeah, and, you know, they never really talk about, like, her angel parents because we don't meet them, but they do exist. We see them once. Yeah. In a portrait mm -hmm. in a room. Yeah, it's interesting that we don't really get that part of it because, you know, it's an adoption narrative. It's very, you know, worth talking about, I think, <laughs> all things considered. Speaking of which, mm -hmm. they actually have an adoption plot in the book, but oh. it's not about Raf yet. Oh. Interesting. It's about Andrea. Oh, so Andrea is adopted. Andrea is adopted. Oh. Yeah. Basically, in the book, there is this whole mystery of why his parents moved so quickly because they were getting anonymous threats to reveal a secret. Basically, the secret was that his parents died in a in a car accident, and hmm. uh, he was adopted. Hmm. He is a bit angsty about it, obviously, but then he accepts <laughs> it and he makes peace with his parents. Mm -hmm. The way I said it sounds a little comical, but it's actually pretty nice in the book. Hmm. I think it's good uh, ad adoption representation, hmm. in my opinion. Interesting. Unfortunately, the book is available only in Italian, which is mm. a shame because it was very nice. Mm. I wish yeah. I had the other two <laughs> because it was a trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I hope you can get your hands on them at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you. Because I think they were trying to plant seeds for the moment they would reveal that Raph was adopted. Like, Raph would feel this kinship to Andrea without really realizing why. Hmm. And then, later on, in the third book, maybe they would reveal that. Or at the end of the second. Yeah, that makes sense. But yeah, there's definitely, you know, a lot that can be expanded on, and I don't know how much gets covered by the second season as well, but, you know, it is, uh, it is pretty interesting. But yeah, so, you know, we have this big reveal with Ruff's past and, you know, being tied to Malakia and Reina is finally truly alone. And, you know, near the end, we see that she doesn't want to be alone. Like, she really did love Malakia, but, you know, got, I guess, caught up in evil or whatever. Um, and uh, It's kind of depressing. Yeah, it is really sad. But um, she has like a final showdown versus all the angels and they try their best with all their powers in the last two episodes we get like the final power up which is really interesting so the angels and devils working together have their own ability called prism fly or prisma fly and they each represent a different color of the rainbow and they have to work together and it's very very fascinating for that part you know Ruff is not involved because she is not originally an angel I mean, she could, but she hasn't developed uh, chromatic essence yet. Yes. That's what Arkham says. Yes, yes. Yeah, so she has to sit that part out, but it's still very exciting because everyone gets one more power up and, you know, they get like these new clothes. They're, their new clothes are very much like a 
party dresses and so on to me like it's very prom but it's cute it's cute so they get to use like this one attack and it seems like maybe this might finally be the thing that defeats Raina but it's not enough and she turns into like an octopus monster the very last minute <laughs> yeah that was weird yeah maybe it was foreshadowed though remember the the creature in Obscuria cave yeah, it's it does seem relevant to that, but I'm not sure. Nah, it, it was probably random. Yeah, it's hard to tell because Reina, from my understanding, was only made for the animated series because she didn't exist in the comic. True. Yeah, it's interesting how they write her. But in, with her tentacles, she sucks out all the abilities of all the angels and devils. Um, and it seems like they're not going to be able to defeat her. And she starts using their attacks on the characters. But Raph finally is able to awaken her chromatic essence because she realizes she can still use one of her abilities, um, which is a think fly, which means she can read minds. That is able to help her to awaken her power and she becomes a star. It's like kind of interesting, but like, yeah, she has yeah. like her own magic power that like she uses uh, finally. Like it's it's like very clear, like the way she be she gets powered up is very unique to her. And that is able to defeat Reina. But this is, again, exposition time. Like, instead of showing all the True. things that happen, she, like, wakes up and they're like, it's been three days. Here's all the stuff that happened. <laughs> <laughs> that was so anticlimactic. Yeah, I was like, I Goodness. guess. <laughs> it's like, it would be way too expensive to animate all of these events. So we're just going to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. I personally believe they were running out of budget there because some of the animation looks a bit weird and a bit stiff, mm. even compared to the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, were they okay when they were animating this? Yeah, yeah. It's. I would definitely love to hear more from the people behind it and everything because it's interesting. They deserve better. Yeah, that is how the show ends. And at the very, very end, like the very last scene, we do see that Ruff's mother is still alive, question mark. And we kind of just hear some voices in the background saying that like Ruff can never find her mother. And that's how it ends. So that's, yeah, there's that. <laughs> that's a cliffhanger. Yeah. So that's like, you know, exactly why you would expect that there is, you know, more to be had. And of course there is, but it took a while to get it. Yeah. With all of that talk going through just the plot of this very long series, apparently, we do have to talk about some problematic elements of the show. So I guess we should start. I think the biggest one to talk about is uh, Guess. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Guess is a lovely character, but... Uh, casual fatphobia. Yes. Very, very much so. Um... It's very frustrating because, yes, Gas is a fat character. I don't know anything about the comics. I don't know how much this also affects his character in the comics. But, like, a lot of his attacks have to do with the fact that he is fat, including an attack called Fat Fly, which, um, when he uses it against Mickey, makes her fat and she is just devastated. And it's like, is this really what's happening right now? And the other big thing being Burger Fly, which I was always confused by the name because it's like they look like meatballs to me and more than burgers that he's throwing at people. But True. yeah, they're like rock burgers. They could have called it Boulder Fly. Yeah, there's, you know, so many possible names. Maybe it was a pun. <laughs> this makes me mad because 
If you take fat fly out of the equation, it has a lot of rock-based or earth-based powers. And that's mm-hmm. nice. Yeah. But then there is fat fly. Yeah. Why? <laughs> it's just like, why? And there are so many fat jokes thrown at him, especially by Mickey in particular, but really everyone. You know, there's lots of jokes about him eating and or needing to eat. And like his demise at one point in the in the mystery mansion is like because he needed to eat he couldn't help himself so like it's just very frustrating how badly it's written and we do need to point out because this is something you might see when you watch the show is that there was apparently a child psychologist on staff for the show allegedly (laughs) allegedly we don't know what part i mean that they did consulting on but he's credited but yeah it's it's a mystery because definitely should have been around for all of this stuff or either that or was a very bad child psychologist i don't know but it's just like very frustrating okay to give them credit if they were called to take care of the terrestrial part they did very fine it Hmm. was nice yeah terrestrial part is fine like i personally believe they contact they ask them about that the examples Mm -hmm. to give to children then they did whatever they wanted on the same paternals yeah yeah it's very that's what i believe happened (laughs) it's unfair because even the same paternal plots even more so influences children like you really Mm -hmm. tell me that urie's wall plot was fine it was not Mm -hmm. so it's also coinciding with um her own human being uh, worried about her own weight but like yeah um Marie was all like oh I got fat she's like talking about that and how she needs to like diet and exercise more and like they don't animate her differently or anything she looks exactly the same and all these girls again are very skinny so it's really not an issue and even if she was gaining weight it wouldn't be a problem like that that they would have to make an episode about so it was just very frustrating to see that because it's like clearly they're trying to tell one story with the humans and then are just telling the exact opposite message with the angels. So it's just, yeah, again, very frustrating. I mean, at the end, it feels like she managed to accept herself. Mm-hmm. I mean, to not doubt about her weight. But then she says almost the same thing in another episode yes she does and i had to stare at the wall for two minutes (laughs) yeah it's very frustrating uh so there's a lot of that kind of thing that's like very confusing with the characters and like it's very easy for them to make it clear that whatever the devils are doing are bad and they make it very clear Mm -hmm. in the writing where like the devils are like that's good and by good I mean bad because I'm a devil and it's very <laughs> ridiculous but like to the point so that you're very clear if you're watching it as a child like oh yeah don't do what the devils are doing because they're devils but with the angels you have to be very careful and yeah they just weren't careful enough I think so no yeah there's that with that there's also you know like we mentioned before uh, Dolce who is in addition to the series who's not in the comics and i think it's mostly because i needed a pink character for the prism fly at the end of the show but i'm not sure if that's actually yeah. the only reason <laughs> i think they needed a pink character because of marketing and the toys yeah speaking of which there were a lot of toys and um uh, school supplies 
It was a big merchandising machine back then. <laughs> I mean, I can imagine the, the characters are very cute uh, or cool, you know, depending on which one you're looking at. They all have great designs. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But yeah, that does make sense that they would be required to have a pink character. And um, literally when they're describing the, the, the chromatic essences of all the characters, Arkin tells Dolce in English that she is the girlish pink so I was like, oh my god, again, with the, like, child psychology and stuff, like, are we really doing this? And, you know, her character in general is written to be very um, ditzy and, like, very um, just unaware of what's happening a lot of the time or not understanding yeah, the situation. especially in the second half. Mm-hmm. It's like, I mean, I don't want to throw the war around, but it feels like she got a little dumber in the mm. second half. Maybe because they do this more often. Yeah, I think it's like oversimplifying the character to like write her more easily. And so they make her like especially unaware of what's going on and stuff. But yeah, it's just it's very frustrating. And, you know, she also has like technically made a big mistake with the whole thing with Eduardo. Oh, yeah. You know, wrecking the school and everything. That's also like her neglecting her own terrestrial one so it's like you know it's like a very big deal for her and everything so it's it's yeah it's just unfortunate how she's like portrayed that way because again you know she's pink they literally call her girly they are saying girl equals stupid in that way it's like very upsetting (laughs) because like pink is a great color and you can be pink coated and smart it's totally possible so i don't know the chance was there yeah yeah like Considering that technically she is replacing Gabby, mm. Gabby in the comics was a very nice little guy who was very <laughs> passionate about technology. Oh, okay. They could have made her interested into technology as well, and she mm. would have replaced Gabby just fine. Sure, that sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, oh, and we do need to talk, uh, we might as well get over to Gabby and Misha in particular, yeah. because... They also have their own thing. So, you know, they are, like you mentioned, definitely at least coded to be much older than the others. And they come in to be guardians to protect Raph and Sulfis from getting near each other. But they're also mm-hmm. like, you know, very clearly shown as being kind of semi-romantic interests. Yes. Yeah. It's just very awkward because eventually what happens is uh, uh, Malachia sticks the spider on them to make them both think about their respective folks so like at first I was like oh are they gonna like be into each other because they spend a lot of time together actually which is very interesting I wish (laughs) that would have been nice yeah instead what they do is like he like falls in love with Raph and then Misha falls in love with Sulfus and while they don't technically do anything it's still like very strange Mm -hmm. I mean on the bright side it only lasts like two episodes Mm -hmm. so yeah. On the right side. As soon as the kiss happens, like, the spell wears off on both of them, which is such an interesting magic. <laughs> yeah. Reina was like, okay, we're done. Yeah. Bye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we need to talk about, I guess, kind of related to the spider itself and everything else. And also with uh, Malakia's past, you know, the reason why he was so bad. Uh, in his human life is um, the kind of issue of consent in this series and like how it's not really clear sometimes and um, causes a lot of like just 
kind of ethical problems. You know, Raph and Selfis, uh, they kissed each other because of the spider, but Reina also says the spider was to reduce the effects of the veto on them, to, like, make them not be as affected uh, when they, like, I don't know, touch each other, I guess, or whatever. Since it, it is very clear from the very first episode how serious that can be, it, that kind of makes sense. But the spider was used to make Gabby and Misha fall in love with them, so I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> to be fair, it was a different spider. Like, she took the spider and... Uh... Ah, modified it. that's true. Okay, I forgot about that. That is a good point. But still just like very, uh, very strange. And then there's this issue of like, you know, after the kiss and everything, when Raph and Sylphus are like, wait, did we actually fall in love with each other? Or were we both like under a spell where we were being tricked by Raina to kiss? And they're trying to like kind of navigate their own feelings and figure out what is real and what's not real. And even though, like, Sulfus at that one point was like, hey, Ralph, I respect your decision not to kiss me, so we're not going to kiss, it's fine, which was super, again, admirable, they still have that kind of, like, really weird, iffy situation there. And then, you know, the last thing being Malakia, his thing is that he makes love potions, which, sure, and that does actually work out later because he makes a potion to make an entryway for the mansion. Well, it looks exactly the same, but he mentions it's a different thing. Yeah. So it's not always a love potion. It's just generic <laughs> potion number three. Sure, yeah. So he seems to be like a potion master of some kind. But yeah, in general, in his human life, he was making love potions for very rich people who are like, oh, I want to make so-and-so fall in love with me. It sounds really bad because it's like you're kind of forcing people to do stuff they don't want to do but then at the same time the whole thing about the potions is that they allegedly only work on people who already love you because Reina tries to use the love potion on Malakia to make him fall in love with her so yeah it's messy (laughs) (laughs) ah we forgot to mention a thing about Malakia oh did we that he dies oh yeah he does <laughs> we forgot. that's true i forgot that and there's so much again that happened at the end there yes he does die true yeah basically malakia serves as a shield uh yeah. for raf to leave with the key mm-hmm. and basically he dies happy mm-hmm. in air quotes because at least his daughter is fine mm-hmm. he got his free will back right so yeah yeah, so he does die, and it is, it is very sad to think about in terms of, like, him and Reina, like, loves him, I guess, but was, you know... Kinda? It's kind of weird. But yeah, so so he did he did die, and um, it's very messy. <laughs> Again, a very dramatic ending. So yeah, so I guess the last thing to talk about, we kind of already hinted at it a little bit before, but... Um, the the changes between the comic and animated series are like a lot of changes and then mm-hmm. the actual quality of the animation is another thing that like you have to kind of warn people about <laughs> going into the series yeah. because I don't want to say like oh this is a bad cartoon or whatever but it's like it's not the same quality as you might expect from other shows of the same caliber True. yeah especially considering that it's from 2009 and it's uh, Flash puppet animation Mm -hmm. and in that time it was a very new thing so they were experimenting a lot 
and yeah. it was bound to look weird. Yeah, but there are a lot of things I really like about it. Like, for example, you know, everyone is very shiny and sparkly and it's very fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they care for details because there is that part where Rafa Sulfus have mm-hmm. been rid of their powers temporarily. Mm-hmm. And their halo and wings don't shine. Mm. They took care of that. That's neat. Yeah, there's a lot of little details like that. I do think, again, I don't really blame anyone in particular for this production quality. It just kind of sometimes that's what happens when you're making something yeah. and you don't have the time or the money to like focus on, on things. Sometimes you just have to get it done, um, even if it doesn't look as great. So it is interesting. And yeah, with the the comic, I think the major thing is that all the characters are aged up and look very different in style. I know there was a, a pilot using a style more similar to the comic originally that looked really cute. Yeah. Like I'm sure I would have watched that series too if that had been how it looked. But um, but yeah, obviously they made a lot of changes. <laughs> <laughs> it was supposed to be a series of twenty minutes episodes. I think 26, they were ordered. Uh, basically, that's how it went. There were two proposals. Hmm. The one that was uh, close to the comic, which was the one that we have a very, very small pilot for, like a small trailer. That's the only yeah. thing that's available on the internet. Maybe mm-hmm. they didn't animate anything after that. And it was supposed to be 26 episodes of 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then the proposal we actually got made by Mondo. Hmm. Which is what we know today. Yeah. I think they picked that for marketability. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, again, like I mentioned before, it looks to me like the style was changed to kind of look more like uh, Wings Club. You know, it has the very yeah. similar proportions and so on. Back in 2009, it was exploding. Yeah, for sure. I guess I did also kind of want to ask you a little bit. I know we've been here a while, but um, just yeah. about like... I guess Mondo's quality compared to other animation studios where it's like I've watched enough things from them now that I kind of generally know what to expect when I go into something like that but I don't know I guess how they're seen in Italy compared to other uh, companies. The thing with Mondo is that I mean it's not like they animate themselves they co-produce and distribute other works and mm-hmm. collaborate with uh, different studios. Like at some point in the early 90s, they collaborated with Nippon Animation, mm. for instance. Uh, thank you for the, the context there. That really helps a lot. Um, oh, yeah, I do want to mention very quick before we go uh, that, you know, if you're watching this series in English, there, there are a lot of little things that are kind of awkward about the translation and voice work. So... The main thing being um, the transformation sequences in particular. There's a lot of vocalizations that in English that don't exist in the Italian, so that makes it really awkward. And then the other thing is um, the translations are kind of off sometimes. Like there's a lot of um, you know kind of unnatural phrasing. The some of it is just due to like editing. They're trying to match the lip movements a little bit too much, maybe. Just like for example, you just mentioned high spheres and low spheres, and there's an episode episode where uh, they use the word tall instead they talk about tall spheres and it's like that's a, <laughs> a very close word but not quite right I know right there's that to consider and and it's something that is existing in both the Italian and English version 
but it's good to point out because it shocked me when I watched it is uh, when they <laughs> you already know what I'm going to talk about uh, when Ravenzolva's kiss it's a very long kiss and they make a lot of sounds when they're kissing and it's very uncomfortable especially considering the characters are like teenagers and it's like it sounds very intimate in a way that makes me feel like I am violating their private space and I need to go. <laughs> We're seeing things that should not be seen. Exactly. Oh my goodness. So <laughs> so just keep that in mind. Um, also, another thing that I, I guess would probably surprise the average viewer in English is the... Um, well, we didn't talk about them at all, but each of the characters do have mascots that they use uh, to oh, transform. Yeah. And Ruffs is a ladybug, uh, and the ladybug's name is Cox, C-O-X. <laughs> I just wanted to point that out because that is shocking to English speakers, but it is not weird. It's just, um, I would guess based on the pronunciation that it's more from Latin, but I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> nah. Yeah. No, it basically comes from Cochinella, yeah. but they wanted to to sound hip. It's only when they call it Cox. Yeah. But yeah, it is definitely something that's... It's an interesting surprise, I think, for English speakers. <laughs> so there's that. But it's a small thing and not a big deal. But yeah, so I guess with that, um, Lapis, thank you so much for coming on to talk to me for so long about Angel's Friends. It's been fun. We do want to ask one last question, which is, have you yeah. ever imagined a magical persona for yourself? When I was in middle school, I had um Ojamajo Dure Mi Sona. Oh, fun. <laughs> and I remember trying to make a little story with me and mm. two original characters. We were basically a trio of witches. Mm. And I made up a witch we were apprentices of. Hmm, interesting. But it didn't go much far. I see. It was fun though. <laughs> and yeah. now I just have a magical girl persona that is just me, but fancy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sounds fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. Great. <laughs> um, so with that, thank you again for coming on. And where can people find you to talk to you about uh, Angel's Friends and any other magical girl shows? Okay, you can find me on Tumblr lovinglapislazuli.tumblr.com or on Twitter at loving uh, underscore lapis. Great. Expect a lot of memes. <laughs> I, I draw mostly that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you have some great Angels Friends art as well, so um, that's fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. So thank you again for coming on and I hope you have a good rest of your day. Okay. Thank you for inviting me. This has been very fun and exciting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sparkle Side Chats with Magical Girl Ayu. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you like it, and don't forget to tell your friends about the show if you think they'd be interested. If you use social media, don't forget to use the hashtag SparklesideChats when talking about and sharing the podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at MagicalGirlAyu, spelled A-Y-U, and you can find me at Ayu She Knows, A-Y-U, 
S-H-E-K-N-O-W-S. You can also email us at sparklesidechats at gmail.com. Let us know if there's a topic you want covered or a fan or creator you want to hear from by filling out the form in the show notes. You could also join the Discord for this podcast to talk about magical girls 24-7, often chatting directly with me and both previous and upcoming guests of the podcast. Look for the link in the show notes. Show notes can be found on your platform of choice or at anchor.fm slash sparkleside. If you can support the podcast financially, you can buy me a coffee at co-fee.com slash iushinos. You can also commission me for art there or buy a print on my imprint page. With a Kofi monthly membership, you can get bonus content, announcements about episode topics, a Discord role, and your name read aloud on the podcast monthly. Another way to support us one time is by buying something off the Amazon Japan wishlist. This helps with getting more access to Magical Girl content that we can discuss in future episodes. Feel free to purchase from the used section as we are not picky here. Original podcast music is by Hazel. You can find her on Twitter at a few bruises. Thanks again for listening. And remember, you are magical. Magical.